I'm Rob Seiden, and this is Seiden Sidebar. The world can be a confusing and complex place, and it's very difficult to understand how to navigate it. But when you come here to this podcast, that's going to end because we're going to give you insights, inspiration, ideas, and mechanisms to help you navigate the complexities of this world. So please join us because there's going to be topical interviews with fascinating people, and I guarantee you're going to enjoy it and learn something and come back for more. Thank you. Hi, this is Seiden Sidebar, a global podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Seiden. On this podcast, we give our exclusive takes on how the recent events in the world impact the law, your life, and business. Today, you may notice that we have some wine on the table. There's a reason for that. Not that we're big wine drinkers around here, but we are going to be speaking about wine today. And a lot of people are interested in drinking wine. Some are aware of what happened in Portugal yesterday, that 600 gallons of wine were unfortunately spilled out into the streets. But we're not going to be talking about that. Some are going to be drinking a lot of wine because their favorite quarterback with the New York Jets, Aaron Rodgers, is out for the season with a terrible injury. We're not going to be talking about that, but our heart is with you, Aaron. But we are going to be talking with global attorney Dove Gold and his case involving a wine club where some of the most sophisticated, wealthy, and interesting people in the world were defrauded in a massive Ponzi scheme. So first, Dove, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. And Dove, uh, can you tell people how you became a global lawyer and a little bit about what you do? Sure. So I guess it started with law school. Okay. I think I went to law school because I wanted to get involved in government. And I soon discovered that that was not for me. And I was actually a little bit uh, lost towards the end of law school, what I was going to do, because I think the regular corporate firm wasn't going to be a fit. And uh, I was very lucky. Uh, you recruited out of Cardozo, and I found myself here. It's very funny you say that, because I recall the resume that came across my desk, and uh, I was reading through it, and I remember when I finally got to the end of your resume, it said on the bottom, under other interests, stand-up comedy. So I remember saying to my brother, we have to interview this guy. If he's going to be a stand-up comedian as well, it could only add to the law firm culture. So we brought you in. We spoke to you about your credentials, which were excellent. We knew we had to have you. But also when we asked you about your role as a stand-up comedian, you said, yeah, I really enjoy watching stand-up comedians. <laughs> so we were happy to have you, but a little disappointed there wouldn't be all day long comedic uh, material going on. Anyway, let's get back to the show. So tell us a little bit about your role and how you evolved to become this global lawyer. Sure. So really when I, when I came here, I, I came here because I saw this really fascinating description of what would be going on here. And something that I, I know about myself is that I really like chaos and uh, making sense of it. And at our firm, clients come to us with really, really crazy problems, stuff you, you would not believe stuff of sometimes fiction and we help them make sense of it and that's where i feel at home in, in their chaos interesting okay so tell us how did you become a global 
lawyer with respect to this chaos? Is there more chaos in America or outside of America? Well, I, I think uh, when where there's chaos, it's usually international at our firm. And so you'll have cases like this wine case that took some of the, the victims and the perpetrators uh, around the world. And you'll have some that are just uh, local to New York. Okay, so let's get into the wine case. Uh, tell us, first of all, how th this came about and let everyone know kind of what the whole uh, scam was here. Sure. So really, this, uh, this case is a credit to, to the victims that we are here today because many times victims are uh, they're embarrassed and they're, they don't want to come forward and they let their perpetrator uh, continue... Basically, get away with it. Really, yes, because they don't want people to know that they've been a victim. So here we have a group of highly sophisticated investors uh, across uh, the country from some of the biggest hedge funds, uh, people you would not expect to be uh, caught up in a, in a Ponzi scheme. Well, what they all have in common? They all had in common a passion for wine. Uh -huh, okay. And so you're saying that there was a certain stigma to being a victim, whether you're uh, uh, someone walking down the street after uh, uh, after a blue collar uh, employment and you get mugged, or if you're involved in, in in high finance, you still have that stigma that bothers you as far as being a victim. Certainly, but I think after being a part of this case for years now, you come to understand that it's not just so simple as uh, I was defrauded. There's there's a whole story to it, and there's some really extremely persuasive fraudsters that are involved. So why don't we uncork this one and get, tell us exactly what the what the fraud was? Sure. So in this instance, uh, the fraud involved two people, Omar Khan and his wife, Leslie Khan. Let's just preface by saying that we're discussing today what's public information uh, that's in the court docket in New York and that has been reported in the media. So we're not uh, in any way revealing anything as confidential. Is that that's correct. This will all be in public filings and in the media. Okay. Please continue, though. So what we learned is that almost over a, uh, a decade, but what our filing reflects is a, a multi-year scheme in which Mr. Khan became uh, central to the New York high-end wine community, where he would attend these events and he would befriend people and he'd be this um, master of charisma such that he would tell people at some point, I'm organizing a wine event, you should come. And he would recruit people to these dinners, which would be $10,000 a ticket. And it wasn't really because of the quality of the food, but because of the quality of the wine and the company. And so people would attend. And while they may be very uh, sophisticated investors and at big firms, you were not allowed to talk business. This is strictly about the wine. And they would see this is the best dinner I've ever had. And some of these investors were approached subsequently by Mr. Khan, or perhaps his wife. And he would say, hey, you see how successful my wine dinner was. Would you like to sponsor one? And we could split the profits. I have one in Hong Kong next week. And eventually he would do this with wine events in Hong Kong, New York, London. But it turned out that many of these events weren't actually taking place. Because if a wine event is in Hong Kong, and this, this guy, I just went to this great event... And he represented the one in Hong Kong was so successful. Well, then, great. It was successful. And sometimes you'd host these events locally that I'm sponsoring. But he was such a master of uh, deception that he would have multiple people, maybe even up to a handful of people at one event that all thought they were the, the investor in that event. Uh, but in fact, um, 
they're, they were just kind of benefiting off of each other's attendance. And, and Mr. Khan uh, was able to isolate people such that they didn't even think they, they could or should disclose to the other that they had this sort of involvement. Okay, let's pause there. That's, that's fascinating. So this guy who you call a master of deception was able to use what I would call a, a, a vintage technique, excuse the pun, to lure these people into this club. Unbeknownst to them, they were all basically being duped and paying for what they thought was an exclusive right to be in the club and to run this meeting and be an investor in this particular uh, uh, dinner club. Uh, but it turns out that they were all, uh, unbeknownst to them, involved in the same scam. That's correct. But to be fair to these these people, despite having been defrauded, many of them will say, these are some of the best dinners they've ever attended in their life. So Mr. Khan uh, and his wife, they... Did you say Khan, C-O-N, or oh, that is this, his real this name? This is with a K. Okay. Uh, Mr. Khan is, uh, he ran a con. And so Mr. Khan, he um, he really had a good thing going. And I've definitely heard from many people that said, hey, if he would have just kept it straight, he really could have been extremely successful. But it could be a personality like his. It's, it's not enough. Uh, and it turns out it wasn't. Wow. Okay. So what ultimately happened to Mr. Khan? So we filed our case in New York for over a dozen victims. And I can tell you that these are the brave ones. There's many others out there that contacted us, but we're, we're afraid to put their name out there. And we discovered others subsequently as well. And he fled the country, him and his wife. They are, um, I have it on good authority that they're now in Sri Lanka. We've done a lot of judgment enforcement. I'm actually, uh, in contact with the hotel resort where they're staying. And we subsequently also learned that in part as a result of our victim's cooperation with law enforcement, he's now, uh, his extradition is being sought from Sri Lanka. Okay. So let's understand that. So you're saying that you have a judgment against him and that uh, there has been some type of a uh, criminal proceeding involved. How much was the uh, amount that he had stolen as far as this case that you have brought in court? We have a judgment for over $6 million. Okay. So he uh, owes the the uh, victims here uh, around $6 million, and yet you say he's hiding out in a resort in Sri Lanka? Yes. He's, um, he's arrested, but he's still, he's out on bail, and he's facing extradition. And so what, what are we looking for the long arm of the law from America to try and bring him back? I can tell you, I my understanding is that the arm is very long and he's coming back. Really? Okay, wow. So it looks like there is justice uh, coming to uh, Mr. Khan and his con, con game. But can you tell us, if, if someone is um, interested in whether it's wine or other products, how are they supposed to know that they're being conned? What, what are some of the things you learned from this case, though? So I think some of the hallmarks are that if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, but beyond that, uh, something that I learned from Mr. Khan is that the way you're approached is sometimes not how you'd expect. So these people thought that Mr. Khan was maybe doing them a favor. I also learned that he misled some of his service professionals. Now, he comes to you. He hired you. Uh, he's paying you. But So you're never going to think that the funds that, that you're sending to him are, are the end result that he was planning. But this is a person who's highly sophisticated and 
he will um he'll he will always have a plan uh as how to extract something from you even if it doesn't appear that way at the outset so for this thing to work it sounds like it had to have been really highly sophisticated and elaborate dinner parties can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I may be getting hungry soon, so I'd like to hear this. And where did they take place? And tell us a little bit about so that. So the dinner parties would happen at places like the Nomad, other uh, top restaurants in the city. He had uh, some of the top chefs on, uh, you could say, speed dial. And you say the city, New York City? In New York City. But it went beyond that. He had access, and this is something that some of these high-end, uh, the wine community in New York City was very impressed by. He had access to the actual winemakers in Europe. And he, in fact, took some people to the winemaker uh, of very, very exclusive wines in Europe in the vineyard. And he organized to have dinner with the winemaker. And this is places that they don't open the gates uh, to, to anybody. He's like in Bordeaux in South France. Yes. Amazing. Wow. So this guy, there was no end to his scheming to uh, lure these people in. So... Uh, at the end of the day, do you think that the victims are going to get their money back? I, I think if Omar Khan decides to um, come back to America and honestly make a living, I think he could work towards uh, repaying some of his investors. And they may even attend his events. Did, did you, that's fascinating. Did, did you mention that his wife is also involved in this scheme? So our lawsuit alleged that his wife was, and we obtained a judgment. Uh, I'll qualify that my understanding is she is not caught up in the extradition in Sri Lanka. Okay. And um, what about the, uh, the beyond this case, Dov, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your role as a global lawyer and, and what's like the most interesting part of, of what you do? Sure. The most interesting part for me is really getting a glimpse into other people's lives and to... Uh, be able to help them through problems and see some new places. And you were mentioning that uh, when you first started out in law school, you were trying to figure out your career path. For people who are thinking of becoming a lawyer or interested in the legal system, what is it that drove you to become a lawyer? Well, I think I've always liked to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. So, But being a lawyer can be so much more fun than that. And really, I think you just have to find something that seems exciting to you in the law and hopefully be able to execute on that. And so what you thought when you were uh, in the process of becoming a lawyer and contrast that with where you are today as a, a lawyer who works around the world, how would you describe that? I, I, I don't think uh, one meets the other. I think uh, you don't re nothing's really so linear. I think, in life. But there's some things that I learned in law school that I find that I apply today. Even in this Omar Khan case, uh, we had an instance where uh, legal ethics came up and it became apparent to our team that there were documents reflecting that opposing counsel in the litigation was actually a victim of Mr. Khan. Now, I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I alerted opposing counsel to this, that it seemed that Omar Khan was sending communications Hold on one second we got a, a siren going by in case you don't know we're taping in uh midtown uh, manhattan and uh this is unfortunately part of the daily life here but uh let's uh die down okay please okay I'm sorry. so Continue. what we learned was basically that omar khan's attorney uh had 
at one point emailed, of course, with Omar Khan, and Omar Khan had taken the the byline, the signature line, and had forwarded emails to victims uh, that we represent, saying, "This is what my attorney sent." And when we showed this to uh, Omar Khan's counsel of record, we said, "Hey, you're a witness. You're an adverse witness to Omar in this case. You're going to have to testify. You didn't send these emails." And well, then he withdrew. So he didn't respond to you. Well, he did. He said, um, "Dove, unless I'm having an aneurysm, I never sent these documents, these emails." Okay, so he didn't have an aneurysm, but he did withdraw from the case. He did. It's on the record. You could see. Yeah. So that uh, is very telling, no? I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's the the saga of Omar Khan. We have to take a uh, drink of our little uh, Sauvignon Blanc here. In, uh, in, in respect to the justice system in America, your hard work to bring someone to justice. So cheers to that. Cheers. If you know, we don't drink on every episode, but uh, this is a special one. But I just wanted to mention that we appreciate all of the uh, listeners uh, who listen and the people who watch uh, Side and Side Talk. And we really appreciate the uh the likes that you have on the um you know the name is not side and side talk it's side and sidebar i have to correct myself we changed the name recently because we got a lot of feedback from people who said wait a minute this is a law related podcast and sidebar is something that is related to the court system you know when a lawyer approaches the bench the judge calls it a sidebar so we decided to change the name to side and sidebar so I will hereafter be referring to it as that cool name, Side and Sidebar, which I hope you agree with. But anyway, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode. I want to thank you, Dove Gold, for joining us. Thank you, Rob. And for sharing your uh, thoughts about uh, this uh, this interesting case uh, involving Mr. Penevik and Mr. Omar Khan. And I also want to uh, thank you for sharing with us your uh uh, thoughts about your career and, and, and your uh, trajectory to, to becoming an attorney. And I would ask that you please uh, keep uh, tuning into our uh, upcoming episodes. Keep sending us questions and comments. And remember that you can find us on all of the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube, uh, and, and any other way you can find us on the internet. We're going to keep uh, uh, flooding you guys with uh, reminders. Don't forget to rate us or hit that Uh, like button and subscribe button. And uh, we, again, appreciate uh, you guys listening. If you have any suggestions, just send them on in. And again, I want to thank my uh, team, uh, production team for all their hard work, including Gail and Olivia and Diego and everyone else behind the scenes. So that's it for this week. And we thank you and take care.